The views and opinions expressed in this program are those of the guests and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the hosts and creators of this program. This is the Pet Buzz. This is the Pet Buzz. Freshly collected with news, celebrity pet gossip, and the latest pet trends. The Pet Buzz gives you the latest 411 on everything pet related. Everything pet related. Hosted by pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and Dr. Michael Fleck. And here's the Dynamic, Dynamic pet, pet Duo. Hiya, I'm pet trendologist Charlotte Reed. I'm veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. And you're listening to the Pet Buzz, the ultimate in pet talk radio. We welcome our listeners who tune in each week from around the world. So, big question for you. Can dogs get STDs or sexually transmitted diseases? Yes. Have well, I ever seen one? <clears throat> yes. Well, Auburn University College of Veterinary Medicine Associate Professor of, now let me see if I can say this, Theriogenology. How do you pronounce that, Dr. Fleck? Theriogenology. Theriogenology. That's real close. Okay, close enough for mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. In the J.T. Vaughn Large Animal Teaching Hospital and co-director of the Equine Reproduction Center is here talking to us about this most interesting subject matter. All that and global pet news in segment four. But you got to wait for that. And I promise I'm going to be better at pronouncing therogenealogy. That's pretty good. Okay. I want to get better at that. Okay. In segment three, which kicks off with my I likey of the week. I likey. Dr. Fleck and I are going to talk to Jill Gonzalez from WalletHub. That's a personal financial website. The online organization just put out their annual survey about the most and least pet-friendly cities in the country, and we've got the results right here. And who doesn't want to learn more about our favorite celebrities and their pets? We'll give you a hint. We are talking about The Rock today. And Dr. Flack is talking about referring patients to a specialist. That's coming up next after the end of this segment. So let's kick off our show with our first guest talking about why service dogs benefit veterans suffering from PTSD. Joining us today to talk about this subject is Rory Diamond. As CEO of Canines for Warriors, Rory is responsible for the executive management and strategic vision of the organization. Under his leadership, Canines for Warriors grew into the nation's largest provider of service dogs for disabled American veterans and the largest service dog agency in the world using primarily rescue dogs. Hey, Rory, hello, and thank you for joining the Pet Buzz today. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So what type of challenge are veterans facing today? There's about a thousand challenges different veterans are facing in, in any given day, but the uh, ones that we're focusing on at Canines for Warriors are uh, post-traumatic stress, traumatic brain injuries, and military sexual trauma. And that's usually about how to get back into civilian life. You know, let's talk a little bit about these veterans and who they are and, and their suffering. You know, where do they live? Where, where do they fight? Oh, man, it would be great if we had a prototypical veteran with prototypical problems in a place they live, but they're all over. Um, the only thing we know for sure that, that these veterans who are really having the, the, the biggest problems uh, have in common is, one, that they've been deployed multiple times. So if veterans have been deployed to Iraq or Afghanistan four or five times, I can almost guarantee you they're going to have some issue with post-traumatic stress. And then uh, veterans have been exposed to explosions, you know, mm-hmm. such that their brains will have a traumatic brain injury, which is pretty easy to happen. So those two things are the other ones that we're focusing on. So how do the service dogs help them? One, they can do physical tasks such as, you know, turning on lights and helping with laundry and doing all sorts of stuff. But Wait a second. The do- dog helps with laundry? 
Yeah, can, can, you, can be trained to do all sorts of great can, things. They can I know, I'm just joking. Things. But I mean, really? Can you can you train one to come to my house? <laughs> you know, I mean, look, the things that I think are the most impactful, though, are, are waking our warriors up out of night terrors and nightmares at night to help them get a good night's sleep. That's critical. Um, also, just helping them when they're in public. You know, you think of a service dog as a bridge back out into the world. So a veteran goes to Costco on a Friday afternoon that's going to be intense. And he or she may start to have a panic attack and start to look for the exit. And we train them instead of letting the tunnel and the oppression of, of an anxiety attack overcome them, focus on your dog, pet your dog. And I guarantee you, we know for a fact their heart rate will go down, the fog of anxiety will lift, and they can go back into their day. So these dogs really are miracles that help our warriors get back out there. That's the key word, miracle. So what does your organization have to do to provide service dogs for veterans? So what we do is a little unique in that um, we don't breed any dogs. What we do is we go to high kill shelters across America and we find those special dogs we think that will make great service dogs. We bring them back to our campuses in Florida. We train them for three to six months. And then we bring the warriors from all over the country and they spend three weeks with us in a pretty intensive in-house program. And we show them how to use their dogs one by one. And then critically, we provide them wraparound services uh, essentially for the rest of their life. As long as they need us, we're there for them. I bet this gets pretty expensive. It does. Sadly, um, we're at about $25,400 per warrior per dog. Wow. That's about what it costs us. And we're the nation's largest doing what we do. It's not even close. And we're the world's largest service dog agency that deals primarily with rescue dogs. So we're getting, you know, the best bang for the buck, but it's not easy. Well, you know, talking about the financial end of this, it's perplexing to me. Why won't the Veterans Administration pay for dogs for PTSD veterans? Every single person in America should be outraged that the VA is fighting service dogs for veterans with PTSD. It's disgusting. Our our success rate, we have 568 graduates and one tragic suicide at Canines for Warriors. The numbers for us should be in the 40s. Our warriors are, almost all of them have some sort of attempt on their own lives. And these dogs are keeping them alive. And the VA seemingly couldn't care less. Wow. It's really, it's really horrible. Well, if you've just joined us, we're talking with veteran Rory Diamond, who is the CEO of Canines for Warriors. We're talking with Rory about obtaining service dogs for veterans in need. Well, you know, it's interesting because according to Michael Fallon, the VA chief veterinarian doing an interview in, with NPR in 2017, he said there are heartwarming stories about service dogs helping veterans, but really there's no evidence-based studies. But, you know, that's not necessarily true. What I thought, Rory, is because I thought the VA was supposed to be working on a study about this particular topic. And then I know probably more than a year ago, Mm -hmm. we interviewed a gal who Mm -hmm. worked on the Purdue study. Mm -hmm. So what's going on with that? The VA has been trying to do their study for almost nine years, and they've gone through at least $20 million, and they still are telling us, wait to 2020, wait to 2021 before we make up our minds. That's a significant problem for me personally. But the good news is that Canines for Warriors went out and raised the money and did really great studies with Purdue University. I mean, these are peer-reviewed, hard science, published studies in some of the most prestigious journals. And they're showing that the Warriors are having dramatic improvements due to their service dogs. So we're, we say that the game is up. All right. We have the evidence. But if you want to know what makes this even a little bit crazier is that the VA is saying we need more science. But they're more than happy to pump our veterans filled with with uh, prescription drugs. And there's no proof they help veterans with PTSD. Hmm. Of course. Well, we're going to make sure we put that study up so people can understand 
can further understand what the benefits are and how that study was conducted. Because I think that's important if you want to go back. And I remember we specifically, you remember, Dr. Fleck, when we did the interview, we really... We specifically, because of you're a veterinarian, of course, that's the uh, that's the word out of Dr. Fleck's mouth a lot, evidence-based studies. We specifically wanted to do it with Purdue alone because we wanted to hear what they found during the evidence-based studies. Okay, so talk a little bit about recent legislation um, that can help PTSD veterans of term service dogs. I will give everybody in Florida a hint who's listening. It has something to do with our governor. <laughs> well, two good news out of Florida. First of all, three years ago, then Congressman Ron DeSantis partnered with Canines for Warriors and we wrote the PAWS Act. That's the Puppies Assisted Wounded Service Persons Act. It didn't pass the first year, it didn't pass the second year, but we have had it reintroduced by Congressman John Rutherford of Jacksonville uh, this year. And then uh, Senator Deb Fisher is going to introduce it in the Senate in September. And so uh, the PAWS Act will essentially override the VA's objections and require them to do at least $10 million worth of service dogs for veterans of PTSD over the next three years. You know, I must say, Governor DeSantis has been doing some surprisingly amazing things in just the short time he's been with us. What can our audience do to help veterans uh, obtain service dogs? So two things. One is uh, to call your member of Congress and ask them to support the PAWS Act, Puppies Assisting Move the Service Persons Act. It's a House bill. 3130. So it's 3130. That's the magic number you need to remember and say, listen, I support this. I believe in this. Please be a co-sponsor. Absolutely wonderful. Well, that was Rory Diamond, CEO of Canines for Warriors, the nation's largest providers of service dogs for disabled American veterans. To learn more about his organization, visit caninesforwarriors.org. Let's take a commercial break and come back with the Celebrity Pet Scoop and Flex Facts. You are listening to The Pet Buzz with pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. We would love to communicate with you via social media. Use The Pet Buzz social media channels on Twitter and Facebook to make a comment or ask a question. Post a picture of your pet on Instagram and tell us about his or her unique personality. You can also write to us at team at thepetbuzz.com. For more information about our show, our guests, and buzzworthy freebies, visit us at thepetbuzz.com. Know what? What? Since I got adopted, I've learned a lot about these humans. Uh, I know. I mean, check out these two. It's Flirt City over here. Yeah, I noticed that. It looks like my human is definitely into your human. Oh, look. I think she's getting his number. Nice. Your human's got some sweet moves. Takes after his dog. (laughs) Oh, look, they're doing that thing where they put their arms around each other. She kicked up a leg. It's like in the movies. That's awesome. Looks like we're going to be hanging out a little bit more. Warmer temperatures mean more time outside. You have sunscreen for yourself, but what about Fido? According to the American Animal Hospital Association and the American College of Veterinary Dermatology, pets need sunscreen too. I love two things, sports and my dog Chester. Where I go, he goes. To the beach, to play soccer, everywhere. We spend a lot of time together in the sun, so I always carry a can of EpiPet sunscreen. So Chester is protected from the sun's harmful UV rays. I just spray it on and I don't have to worry. Chester is protected, so I know my sports buddies can be with me for a long time. Thanks, EpiPet. 
Use EpiPet Sun Protector, the only FDA-approved pet sunscreen on short-haired, light-colored, hairless, golden retrievers, and other dogs susceptible to skin cancer. Contained in a sports bottle, EpiPet allows you to turn the bottle upside down, making it easier to spray your dog all over to protect your dog from the sun all day and every day. Visit epi-pet.com. Thank you for joining us on the Pet Buzz this morning. This show is hosted by the Dynamic Pet Duo. I'm pet trendologist Charlotte Reed. And I'm veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. We are bringing you more Pet Buzz to get you and your pets through the week. Let's kick off this segment with celebrity pet news. Do you smell what The Rock is cooking? Ha! The Rock's laying the smack down. The Rock says, The Rock says, You know, Dwayne The Rock Johnson cuddles up with his French bulldog, Hob, believe it or not. I, mean, I, do. I don't know if that's a vanity name or what. Yeah. In his new campaign for Voss Water, the 47-year-old Hobbs and Shaw actor stars in the brand's first consumer-facing advertising and social media campaign called Live Every Drop. In the campaign, which is debuted via large-scale outdoor, digital, and social media platforms on Monday, August 5th, Dwayne reveals inspiring life lessons by offering a glimpse into his daily demanding schedule. I mean, frankly, between you and me, if you see the commercial, which I'm going to post on social media, it doesn't look like he's living life so demanding. I mean, if he was in a movie acting with my man, the mechanic, you know, Jason Stratum, then I would think, okay, demanding. Well, in this commercial, The Rock says that he's come to learn over the years that the life you envision isn't just handed to you. It's created and earned. He further notes that in life, you get out what you put in. And on this, on his Instagram, it's written that my strategic partnership with Voss Water represents a new chapter for me by servicing the audience beyond media. And for years, I've been an avid Voss drinker and partnering with them to tackle sustainability while creating new, improved, and exciting health beverages and products for you and your loved ones to enjoy is a project that I'm passionate about. Okay, so we heard all the nice narrative. Right for the campaign, mm-hmm. and he there he is with his cute uh, French bulldog. If you recall, I mentioned with uh, in the last year that his other two French bulldogs they drowned in a swimming pool. Remember. remember that? Okay, so this one is a black and white Frenchie, and he's really cute. But I have one question for Dwayne. Okay, give it. Does your dog Hobbs drink Boss H two O? Let me know. I want to see a pic of the dog drinking the Boss out of. A pet bowl. Okay. Okay, so now it's time for Flex Facts. Welcome to Just the Facts. Just the Facts. Fact or fiction? Just the Facts, man. You want answers. I want the truth. It's going to take long. You got the time. Dr. Fleck, what's the discussion topic for this week? This week we're talking about referring a pet owner to a specialist. Oh, that's a great topic. Really interesting. And the specialist's responsibility in treating that health care problem. Okay, that's a great topic. So I'm going to ask you in terms of this. So how is your practice changed over the years because you in the back in the day you told me you did all these surgeries and tackled cancer and and orthopedic issues yeah the practice has changed a lot i think we as veterinarians are smarter and the new graduates are smarter because we have better training and better tools for diagnosis and treatment of diseases and of course we work hand in hand with the human research people so we have the best available to take care of our pets 
And, you know, all this is really being driven, though, by something very, very important. And that is 10, 20 years ago, we really cared for our pets. But now they are part of the family. And being part of the family, a couple of things happen. Number one, they live longer. Therefore, they're going to have diseases maybe that they didn't show years ago when they died earlier in life. And the second part of that, of course, is they're part of the family. They sleep in bed with people. People recognize when they have health issues. And therefore, they demand that we take care of the pet and make them healthier and respond to diseases the same way people that are maturing have to respond to diseases. So when you started your practice life, did you refer patients to specialists? Was it something you did on a daily basis? When I started practice, there were no private specialists. The specialists, if they existed at all as specialists, were at the universities. So we referred back to our veterinary colleges for any special issues, which meant that it was very limited for our clients to be able to bring that pet to that hospital, which would be a distance away, differently than what we have as private specialists in all of the major cities today. Now we have that opportunity because there's some tremendous specialists and tremendous specialty practices that we can refer our pets to. So what's changed? I mean, from, for example, doing orthopedic issues, so now you just don't do, like, don't do the surgeries, you just refer them to the specialists? The, the good and the bad. When, when I graduated from school, we did everything. We did orthopedic surgeries. We did uh, kidney repair. We did uh, dermatology repair. We did everything that, that one has to do as a general practitioner when you don't have specialty people available. But now that we have the specialist available, when we have issues that are non-responsive to our initial treatment, we now have people that are experts in diagnostic techniques with their new technical approaches. We have the ability then for new methods and treatment protocols that maybe we as general practitioners don't have available to us. And so therefore we can refer them to the specialist and that can be provided with proper care. Are there any ramifications about legal issues? Absolutely. Um, Not only when we send the pet to the specialist, we have to remind them that we have limitations and that because of the new training that they have, the specialists, that they are have the ability to go ahead and treat. Even if we think we can treat, we have legal liabilities. And if something goes wrong with our treatment protocol, then we're liable. With the specialist, when they do the treatment with their training, then they have less liability with that treatment protocol. But it was important for us to refer for that treatment protocol. Okay, so under what circumstances do you refer a patient to a specialist? Why don't you just highlight some of the most common problems? The most common one I refer to is the one that's really the most confusing, and that is the pet that comes in over the last week or couple weeks that has lost its appetite, looks lethargic, uh, maybe has an elevated temperature, um, certainly not eating, or if it is eating, it's vomiting. We know that those are internal issues. So um, we may go ahead and treat for a day or two, hoping that we get some response for maybe a, a, a minor sort of, of health problem. But generally speaking, if we don't get the response, I gen- then refer off to the specialist, for example, the internist. Uh, the internist that I refer to is also an oncologist. Oncologists, of course, treat cancers. For I have serious skin issues, which I'm, I specialize in myself. If it's really serious, I'll send it off to a dermatologist. 
We have bone surgeons. We have soft tissue specialty surgeons. We have ophthalmologists. The same things that people have, we have, and they all do a great job. Okay, so how should veterinarians prepare their patients for the specialist? You indicate that that you've gone as far as you can go with that particular patient with your treatment protocol and diagnostic approaches and that you need additional help on this. So that's when you would refer. But preparing them, in addition to preparing them for having additional care done, there is an expense that goes along with it. And today the specialist can have a price tag that can be challenging. Well, is there anything else? Affordable health care for the future. We really have to look at that for pets. That's all the Flex Facts for the week. Well, thank you, Dr. Fleck. We can't wait for your unique insight next week. So check out Dr. Fleck at his AMC of Bradenton and Red Barn Clinics in Bradenton and Miami. Up next, we're going to talk about my I Likey of the week, as well as the most and least friendly pet cities across the country. Let's learn more about how these cities were determined, because maybe you think your city is super pet friendly. So I'm a cat, and I just moved in with this new human, and she's got this little toy she's always playing with, all day long. Tap, 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 bloop, bloop. She can't put it down. There it is. Oh, and get this. She even talks to it. Last week, she asked it for Chinese, and guess what? Egg rolls showed up like magic. Humans have cool toys. A person is the best thing to happen to a shelter pet. Be that person. Adopt. Brought to you by the Ad Council and the ShelterPetProject.org. When your doctor recommended omega fatty acids as a daily supplement, he told you that they promoted better heart, brain, skin, joint, and immune system health. Well, doesn't it make sense for your pet to have the same health benefits? EpiPet Whole Fish Treat, an all-natural smoked fish supplement, is 100% bioavailable, bringing your pets the nutrients they need to keep them healthy and happy. To order better pet health for your dog or cat, visit www.epi-pet.com. Welcome back. You're listening to the Pet Buzz, the best in pet talk radio. I'm veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. And I'm petronologist Charlotte Reed. And now for my fave of the week. That's the way it has to be because that's the way I like it. It's genius. I like it. I love it so much. I like it. It's to die for. I like it. I'm not just big on excessive treating, but I do like to use treats for some individual training sessions with my seven dogs. And that's why when I use Loving Pet Products, Foundations, their bite-sized soft chew dog treats made in the USA, well, these awesome tasting treats are perfect training rewards. I like them. They are also great for small dogs and puppies made with 100% all-natural ingredients. Foundations contain no grain, no wheat, no gluten, and no corn. They're also available in five proteins. That's beef, chicken, duck, lamb, and salmon. Every bag comes with a free carabiner to carry your treats for hands-free training, hiking, or playing. Conveniently, hang your foundations bag from a belt loop purse or leash. Your dog's going to love them. 
Okay, well, to many of us, pets are family. Even if they're covered in fur, feathers, or scales, naturally, the nearly 85 million households in the United States that own a pet want to live in places where their beloved companions can enjoy long, healthy lives without breaking the bank. And joining us today to talk about America's most pet-friendly cities is Jill Gonzalez, an analyst from Wallet Hub. Jill, welcome back to the Pet Buzz. Thanks for having me back. You know, we're really excited to learn about your pet-friendly city rankings today. So when evaluating the best and worst cities for pet lovers, what are the top five indicators? Well, if you're moving to a city, if you're visiting a city and really want to know how pet-friendly it is, uh, there are certain things to keep in mind. Uh, One of them is simply cost, you know, how much is it going to cost for you to keep an animal, whether that's in your apartment, whether that's also pet insurance premiums, things like that. There are larger animals. It's important to make sure they can be walked and have parks where they can run around. Veterinarian reviews at the neighborhood where you're thinking of moving is also huge. And if there are pets in the area already, that's also a definitely a good thing to know. Great, great information. Mm-hmm. So, Jill, what are the most pet-friendly and least pet-friendly cities in the United States? Well, we do this study every year, and this year the most pet-friendly cities, the top five, start out with number five is Phoenix, Arizona, number four, Austin, Texas, three, Tampa, Florida, to Orlando, Florida, and number one, back to Arizona in Scottsdale. So, of course, warmer weather certainly does help. <laughs> Well, of course, in the past... Wait a second. Did you, did you mention the least friendly cities? What are the least friendly cities? Oh, yeah. The least friendly cities typically have to do with not having a lot of vets in the area, not having a lot of doggy daycares, et cetera, in the area. So the worst were Chula Vista in California, followed by Milwaukee, very cold in Wisconsin, Buffalo, New York, also very cold. And the last two were Laredo, Texas, and Fresno, California. No places I have a desire to go anyway. <laughs> That's why it's not very pet friendly. Okay, you had a question, Dr. Flack. Go ahead. You know, in the past 20 years, pets have become really part of the family. And now, like kids, they want to spend more time inside than outside. And we got to get these pets outside, especially since more than half of our pets are obese. So what city ranks the highest in pet outdoor friendliness? Just in terms of being outdoors and having a lot of dog parks, et cetera, uh, very similar to the top five, mostly in California. So Fremont, number five, Las Vegas, surprisingly, is a great outdoor city for your pets, too, at number four. Uh, Los Angeles was number three, Irvine, California, number two, and San Francisco, the very best at number one. Wow. I'm going to Las Vegas at the end of the week, so right, I'm going to have to go mm-hmm. check that out. Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, I do have a favorite dog park I go to every single day. Okay. Well, if you've just joined us, we're talking with Jill Gonzalez from Wallet Hub about their annual pet evaluation of the top 100 cities. So, Jill, what city has the highest and the lowest veterinary cost? And then what city has the most vets? In terms of vet care costs, the highest are in some of the biggest cities, Philadelphia, Nashville, New York, D.C. Some of the lowest are in places like Memphis, Oklahoma City, Corpus Christi, so cities or suburbs, bigger suburbs that are a little bit further out from the main drag certainly helps. And just in terms of access, uh, Miami has the most veterinarians per capita, Tied with Las Vegas, again, also Orlando, Tampa, and Cincinnati, actually. 
places with the fewest veterinarians per capita, Boston, Massachusetts, we were actually surprised to see not many there. 